Hi, it's Carolyn. Trainer Todd Pletcher has reached the pinnacle of thoroughbred racing. He will be inducted into the National Museum of Racing and Hall of Fame this summer at Saratoga. It will be a packed house with family and friends in attendance, but no one will be more proud of Todd than his soft-spoken father, J.J. Pletcher. At 83 years old, J.J. plays a big part in the Todd Pletcher Racing Stables. J.J. oversees Peyton Training Center in Ocala, Florida, where most of the young horses get started. I had a chance to sit down and talk with J.J. on the farm earlier this year about his background with horses and what it was like to raise a future Hall of Famer. This is Racehorses Etc., the podcast celebrating horsemanship. I'm Carolyn Conley. I've covered horse racing on TV for over a decade, exercised some of the best horses in the world, and represented top jockeys. Here, I speak to icons and everyday racing folks to deepen our understanding of horsemanship. Hi, JJ. Welcome to Racehorses Etc. I'm so glad you're here and so excited for Todd and the Hall of Fame. So tell me, where did your life with racehorses begin? Started out in the quarter horse industry in Texas and just kind of self-taught. Didn't have any of it. My family was not in the horse business. And it just kind of grew on you. Decided you uh, had to have something to do in life, so you did that. And where did it all begin? Were you in Texas? I was in, I was born in Oklahoma and my grandparents on my mother's side were wheat farmers and and moved to the panhandle of texas and they had a so i kind of lived with them off and on when i was young and always had horses and had to milk cows and just farm life really so that's kind of gravitated to the horse industry because i had a uncle that was a cap roper and so i Got interested in the quarter horses through that. And how'd you get to the track? Well, I started running in the bushes, uh, match races type things in Texas. You can go to these county fairs. So I decided if I was going to do anything, I needed to go to a recognized racetrack. So I headed for New Mexico. <laughs> and how'd you get your first horse? I went to work. I was training a few on my own. I picked up a couple and trying to learn. And I went to work for a guy by the name of Bubba Cassio, who was a, the best quarter horse trainer at that time, win the All-American and different things. But uh, So I learned a lot from him. Then I just went on my own, picked up a... In fact, he gave me my first client. And... Uh, we went to Redosa, New Mexico with 10 head of horses. Didn't know anybody and didn't know anything, but went out there to learn. And when did Todd come along? Todd was born and I was, uh, we were living in uh, Dallas, Tech, north of Dallas, Texas, Plano, Texas to be truthful, uh, on a quarter horse farm that some of the best quarter horse mares and stallions that there was. And I broke those yearlings there and most of those went to California to a guy by the name of Chuck Talapero, who is not 
with us any longer, but a great guy. And so I kind of gravitated from that, picked up these, this client from Houston by the name of J.H. Rose, and took 10 horses to Red Oaks and win a few races. In fact, I have a, a win picture of Keith Asmussen winning a quarter horse race for me in 1969 <laughs> in Red Oaks, of all things. As your jockey. As a jockey. Yes. So Todd was born when you were at Rio Doso? No, Todd was born in Dallas, Texas in 1967. I was living on that farm. Then we left there. He was two-year-old when I went to the racetrack mm-hmm. in uh, 1969 at Rio Doso, New Mexico. So was he around the barn since he was a baby? Since he, was, he walked hots when he was six, seven years old. <laughs> Had to have the help, didn't have anybody. That's right. He was he was raised on the racetrack, you might say. And you told me a story once about a pony he had on the back stretch somewhere that kept him busy during the races. You could uh you could keep a an extra pony or two and I had one that he could ride, a smaller filly. And we had a private barn on the back of the racetrack. And you had to be 18 years old to go to the races at that time. And so we had a horse in. You'd go to the barn, drop him off, and the boys would saddle his filly for him, and he'd ride her around there up and down. He always wanted to be a jockey. He's going to be a six-foot jockey. <laughs> so, But he could ride as good as anybody from the time he's six years old on. And he'd race up and down with that pony? Oh, he'd go up and down the fence on the back about a hundred yards up the fence pull her up walk her back turn around and do it again fast as she could go which wasn't very fast <laughs> must have been one fit little pony by the end of it she's had such a demeanor she just walked back she didn't get excited well, it was a great great thing that you look back on that uh you couldn't do that now it'd be a completely different game oh yes so many things have changed and the level of horsemanship, some could argue, has changed as well. But you've been able to bring some of that knowledge from the farm, from the early days around the racetrack, and share that with Todd as he's developed his career. What would you say would be the most important lessons that he's picked up from your experience as a trainer? You know, he just learned how to... When we went out to dinner with the clients, he had to go along. You didn't have no babysitter. You couldn't afford one. So he he knew all my clients, and they all liked him. He had a great personality from the time he was growing up. And he started reading the racing for him when he was six, seven years old. And he would, uh, when we'd have something in, he'd get these owners to bet a $6 combine for him or something, you know. <laughs> he'd hustle them. So he, you know, it's just all of growing up around the racetrack that it's a different life. And if you don't, if you haven't been there, you can't understand it. It's little things that are kind of quirky. What are some of the things you see him do as a trainer that you most admire in terms of horsemanship? He has a real good demeanor with his employees. 
he knows how to handle his employees. You don't see him get excited, go to screaming or hollering at nobody. If they make mistakes, he just rolls with the punches and has it uh, lets them know about it, but he's not a holler or a screamer. And he's got the people that's been working for him since he started training in 1996, still working for him, some of them are. That doesn't surprise me, seeing your operation here at Peyton Training Center, where we're sitting right now looking out over the training track and the moss-covered oak trees and just a beautiful sunny day here. Your employees all seem happy. It seems very uniform, much like the Pletcher Stable in New York or in Florida. How, how big of a part is consistency in how the two of you work together? Well, you you learn, you know, that you're just as good as your help in handling a horse. When you're handling 100, 200 horses, why, there's no way that you can be hands-on with each horse. So you've got to have a relationship with your employees that they tell you everything that you need to know. And if you got a problem, they make sure you know it, and then you can handle it through your veterinarians, through whatever needs to be done, that that you can't do by yourself. Not with, you know, if you're training four or five horses, yes, but we have a hundred here and Todd trains a couple of hundred at the track. So you've got to have hands-on people that pass the information to you. And of course, with the computer now, Todd can tell you every horse he's got and something about every one of them that he does a little different than some people. He jogs every horse up and down every morning. and He sees every horse, but he's like at Palm Beach down. I know he's got 120-something there. And he has hand, he touches every horse every morning and jogs them up and down and it, so he can see if he's got a problem. If he does send him back to the stall or we need to do this. He's got a girl walking along beside him with the pad and the pencil. He says, do this and do that. Clip the hair on this ankle. You know, I've heard him do it many times. So it's, it's, uh, people think it's not, you're not hands-on, but you're, you're there seeing every horse just about every day. And he has you looking at horses, at the horses here at the well, training center. the horses that we send to him, we, I have a real good assistant uh, by the name of Gerard Butler, and he trained horses on his own for years, and we talk to Todd about every morning at 5 o'clock before he starts, saying if he's got any suggestions about this horse or that horse or We've got this problem. You think we ought to send him home, turn him out, and do what? So you, you know, it's a we communicate every day, just about. We get our feed from the same place. It's a jockey feed from jockey uh, racehorse feed from Ohio, out of Ohio, and it's uh, very consistent. We both feed the same thing, so when the horses go from one place to the other. They don't, we don't have any problems with them missing a note. 
Back to Todd, I've been looking at his resume and it's absolutely extensive. All-time North American leader in purse earnings with more than $400 million. All-time North American leader in graded stakes wins with over 700 wins. When he was a little kid racing his pony up and down at Rio Doso and other tracks, did you dream of such lofty heights for your son? Of course, he was an only child. Of course, you uh, you think they're perfect, but he had the he had the right uh, personality to make it. You know, it reminds me of Tiger Woods and his father. Have you heard that comparison before? Oh yeah, I've seen it on watch them on TV a lot. Mm-hmm. They, uh, of course, with an only son, that makes makes it easy to both deals to be uh, kind of partial, I guess would be a word for it. But you helped design his career by the looks of things. I mean, you got him a job with D. Wayne Lucas in the summer when he was in college at Arizona, um, then a job with Charlie Whittingham. How did that come together? I raced in California in the mid-70s, for a while, I probably had didn't have the quality of horses to go there, but I I went there for three or four years. In fact, Todd went to school in Arcadia one year, started there, and I got to be friends with probably uh, probably one of the most underrated trainers and out there was Henry Marino, who was my very good friend, and so I sent him to work for Henry one summer. I figured he could. He knew all I knew. He needed to go where he could uh, get some further. It was like going to uh, college. So he actually, and he he worked for Henry one summer. Then he, the next summer he worked for Wayne, and then his last summer he worked for Charlie Whittingham, groomed four horses, and he he always made it a point to beat Charlie to the barn every morning. That wasn't easy. And uh, he said Charlie would walk by that barn. He'd be in there grooming a horse. Four o'clock, Charlie would walk by and talk to him. He said, That's, I was probably the only one that got to visit with him. Wow. Man to man, you know. And he said uh, he, wrote, uh, he wrote Charlie a letter when he, after he come back, after he started, after he went to, he was in college. And so he said he... He got a letter from Charlie, and Charlie thanked him, said, you, you're you one of the few people that's thanked me for working for me. He's got the letter. It's really nice. Oh, that's beautiful. So that tells you what kind of person he was. Well, and I know Todd, Todd sent Charlie a thank you note after yeah. he worked for him. So yeah. that's beautiful. And those mornings with Charlie at 4 o'clock in the morning, I mean, to be... A fly on the wall and hear those conversations would have been something. Yeah, and it's uh, it's amazing what you learn by just watching somebody like that. You know, their everyday uh, chores or rounds or whatever you want to say. He made his rounds every day, early in the morning, checked his horses. He And Todd does that now. You know, you can walk by a horse's stall in the morning after they got up and eaten their breakfast or eating their breakfast, and you learn a lot about them. You know, you get 
figure out if they've got some quirks that you need to kind of work on, you know? JJ, you're so laid back. At least that's how you come across. And yet you raised a son that would beat Charlie Whittingham to the barn in the morning. Did you purposely instill those qualities in him or is that innately a part of who Todd's always been? Uh, When he was uh, in the summertime, we always, he always had to get up and go to work with me and I always went to work early. And uh, sometimes you'd have a harder time getting him up as all young people are, but, but he was very dedicated. He, I told him whenever he was about in starting high school, I said, I don't care what you do, you can do whatever you want to do, but first thing you got to do, you got to go to college, get four years, and I don't want you to go to college and in the fourth year tell me I don't know what I'm going to do. I said, I want to know what you're going to do. So he made his mind up. That's why he went to the University of Arizona because it was uh, had the racetrack management program, the first one that was in the United States. And uh, so he learned a lot there, done well. He went four years, but that was just a two-year course, but he stuck it out four years. Then he went to work for, he and I, when he got out, he come back to Texas and we drove nonstop to New York City and he went to work for Jeff Lucas the next morning. <laughs> I give him a week off. He got a week off. <laughs> but anyway, and he worked for he worked for Wayne through Jeff for six years. Of course, Jeff got hurt. Todd took his place and kind of ran the New York division for Wayne. So uh-huh. it was a it was a good experience for him, though. So the Hall of Fame. He's now eligible to be nominated, and he is nominated and very likely to be inducted into the Hall of Fame this summer at Saratoga. What does that mean to you as a dad? Well, I'm going to be there for sure because there's nobody in our family that's ever done anything like that. And uh, it's uh, very satisfying to see that he has done so well and so much better than I did. I'm so happy for that. You know, I I made a living, but that was about it. But we survived, and, and the racehorse game is not easy. You change clients, they'll fire you one day and hire you back the next if you're not careful. So it's not an easy game. So back to the Tiger Woods comparison. At At what point did you know Todd was destined for greatness well I knew it I knew pretty early and I'll tell you how I knew because Henry Marino he thought Todd was the greatest guy that he ever met and he would he says they no tell him what this boy's going to do he's going to be the, the best and if he was alive he'd tell you that today and that's when he just knew, uh, I just knew that he'd, he'd make it. And he just, he had to work through a lot of things. He went through a lot of, of uh, a lot of uh, ups and downs, you know, trying to figure out which place to go. And he, he didn't really want to break away from Wayne when he did. It was really, really hard for him. But he did it. 
he got he married the wonderful girl and she uh they were together whenever he uh they were they got married i think he was working for wayne a couple of years when they married and so whenever he decided to quit she took over to book work and <laughs> she went to work as hard as he did and they raised a beautiful family and then they decided to have children had had the first one was a boy and they told her she couldn't have any more so i named this place after the person named todd named him peyton so i named this training center peyton training center 13 months later here comes kyle <laughs> <laughs> he wanted to know why I named him <laughs> when he was about four or five years old. <laughs> he asked you that. He did, and I had to squirm around a lot about it. <laughs> but it it worked out good. But I'm a, I'm a proud grandfather, I can tell you that. Oh, that's they, what... Uh, that's what I always say. You, there's never been an ugly grandchild <laughs> or a dumb one. They're all smart and good-looking. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's so much fun. And at the Hall of Fame, I would imagine you'll all be sitting together. Absolutely. Yeah, we're going to try to go up about the 1st of August to Saratoga. Uh -huh. Supposedly the 6th of August is when this takes place. Wow. And really, you know, that kind of success, there's so many qualities that go into Todd in achieving that kind of success. And a lot of that is his professionalism, his commitment, the consistency, the way you raised him. But this is the sport of thoroughbred racing, and the horsemanship plays a huge part in his success. You talked about how he takes the time to go look at all his horses every morning. He also watches them all jog and gets his hands on every horse at the venue where he's training each day. But I watched you this morning training these young horses here at Peyton Training Center, and you pointed out a particular colt that wore blinkers, and you said that he slammed on the brakes in the far corner a couple of times, and you had to put the blinkers on him. But there's so much more to it than that. You talked about how you started to pull him up in a different spot each time so he wouldn't develop a habit. That kind of understanding of a horse's nature, of a horse's way of thinking, is what fascinates me so much. And I feel like you know that so innately, you've almost forgotten you even know it. Yeah, and it's uh, also you know which riders to put on them. So, you know, when you see a horse doing something that you don't like and you uh, this rider's having a little problem, then you know who to change to. And that's one of the things from having a good communication with your riders, with your employees. Mm -hmm. And Todd's the same way. He don't, you don't put the same rider on. Some horses got a little quirky, you know. So, anyway, that's something you learn going down through the years, you know. What about some of those old remedies that we used to use on horses? I had one trainer tell me about a horse had proud flesh, so they put pantyhose and vinegar and <laughs> held the cabbage in with the pantyhose and poured the vinegar in. And, you know, some of those remedies that that we may not see much of anymore, but... Uh, any stand out to you that you can recall or that maybe you've brought forward? Uh, I don't know that. I know that you're, you depend on the veterinarian a lot more now than you used to. 
and used to the vet would come and he'd say this horse has got something wrong with his left front he'd jog him up and down and look at him and say I'll turn him out for 60 days you'll be alright and now they want to inject them and they want to do this and do that and some things you can some things you can't but it's uh, you're under the gun so much to run these horses that these these especially young horses it's the pots are so good now they got these ninety thousand dollar maiden races in new york and the kind of horses we try to buy we try to buy the ones that fit in new york that you have to get more money for them so you've got to have the client that'll step up and it's uh so you have to handle them different when you're breaking them you can't just cowboy them like we used to you know just get on them and make them buck and go on, you know. Now you would drive them and we mess with them and they never buck very seldom. So it's it's been a learning experience for a long time. So you would say your horsemanship has evolved over time? Oh yes, oh yes. If you And we've been in it. I started uh, breaking quarter horses in 1962. How long is that? <laughs> That's a long time. So, J.J., when you started breaking colts in 1962, quarter horses, what was your method, and what is your method now? It's, uh, I learned that we used to sack them out a lot, what you call sack them out, and get a, you know, them old gunny sacks, burlap bags. You always had them around, and you'd put them hay in them and tie them together and throw them on their back. They'd have it be like a saddle, you know. And they could kick and buck and do whatever they wanted to and they couldn't hurt themselves. So it, uh, then you gradually learn to drive them like you would a team, you know, do a lot of groundwork with them. And when you, if you do the groundwork, you uh, get by all of that stuff that, takes more time but you don't have to have them bucking and the chance of hurting yourself or a rider too you know so it's a more systematic approach yeah yeah well I feel like Todd's I galloped horses for D. Wayne Lucas and I felt like they were all little soldiers they were so professional and they always came into the track so well broke you could pull your irons up and gallop off on brand new two-year-olds that had come off the training center which is rare at the track typically they come in and you need to ride them long and they buck and they prop and they look around but Wayne's were always so professional and that's what I see with Todd and with you the the work that you do preparing these young horses they they seem so mentally well adjusted yes it helps to spend what we call a lot of ground time with them driving them and messing with them and getting them used to the bit and things like that. That takes a little more time, but it pays off in the long run, especially these expensive horses. You get these coats that cost a million dollars, you sure try to be extra careful, you know? It's a lot of pressure. Correct. What does it mean to you to share this experience with your son, this partnership? Well, we feel, you know, I feel like it, that I'm helping him by doing this. And it's kind of a family affair because 
Tracy is so involved in the book work of it and and the PR work. The grandkids are involved, but they'll, they'll all show up at the Derby, and then it all. Of course, they'll be in Saratoga this summer, and hopefully out of school with this pandemic thing. You don't know what is going to happen, but mm-hmm. we've survived it, so everything's worked out good. You think you might shed a tear at the Hall of Fame? Oh yeah, I mean, it's easy for me at my age to shed a tear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that'll be such a, a wonderful moment for you, and I would imagine you've been had similar emotions when he won the Kentucky Derby. Correct, correct. He's uh, he handles it pretty good. He handles stuff better than I do. Really? Very. Oh yes, very. He's a very calm laid-back guy boy you come across about as calm and laid-back as I've found down through the years he he calls me if he has a problem I'm the first one he calls he wants me to have the burden too (laughs) 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 but anyway we we have a very good relationship talk to each other almost every day and uh he, uh, of course, he, he sends most of the horses here to us at the, the training center here. We get a lot of, most of them come out of the sales and stuff, so it's it's good for him, good for us. It works good because he knows what's going on, and we know we give him the information, he gives us information, it goes back and forth. You know, you could be doing what you're doing for somebody else, but you're here doing it with your son, which gets you on the phone once or twice a day, which, what does that mean to you? My wife says it keeps me working at 83. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still going. Not going to retire either. I'm like Lucas, <laughs> going to have to kick dirt in our face, I guess, get rid of us. <laughs> well, we're lucky to have you in this industry. Uh, it's, it's good. It, that's a good thing about it. You can train horses till you're Charlie Whittingham till you're 75 or so, and you can keep going. You're not as sharp as you used to be. Don't kid yourself. But uh, you can still plug along. Well, you've done a fantastic job as a trainer yourself, 370 wins, Oakland Handicap. Then you raised future, soon-to-be Hall of Famer, Todd Pletcher, and... uh, still play a big part in his success and uh, it's just a it's just a a pleasure to know you thank you very much we uh, enjoyed the game and i love people like you that have kept it going and and still use some part of it the rest of your life you can it's a good thing about the horse industry i can go to any racetrack in the united states and see somebody i know mm-hmm and they may be a groom, maybe a hot walker, maybe a gallop boy, but I'll guarantee you, you can see it. They, it's kind of a family type thing. The whole industry is pretty close knit. It is. It's community. Yeah. Very true. And at a time like this, with the pandemic separating everyone, somehow in this racing industry, we've been able to plug along and keep going. How we how they've not shut us down is beyond me. They've tried to a time or two, but they've kept the track open by being careful. But 
And just think if they hadn't have done that, this whole industry could have fallen apart. Yeah. It hurt it hurt everybody. From the pin hookers to the salespeople, everything. Yes. And we lost some of our older trainers at the track because they couldn't come have coffee at Clocker's Corner mm-hmm. and talk to each yeah. other. Like old Henry yeah. Marino. Mel and Studi, I know him very well. Yeah. So but you've stayed active, stayed out here, stayed a part of the Pletcher operation. You are We're still part of the game. I enjoy it. Well, thanks for taking the time today, JJ. You're welcome. Appreciate it. Thank you for doing it. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Racehorses Etc. Please go to carolynconley.com and become a Racehorses Insider. We'll keep you up to date with exclusive content and more. That's it for now. Remember, until we meet again, enjoy the horses.